0: Hey, everybody, this is Tyler Unsel.
1: And I'm Orrin Gray.
0: And welcome to the Horror (laughs) Podcast. Every couple of weeks, Oren and I get together to discuss how our featured horror movie might be used in the classroom. And tonight, excitingly, we are joined by writer-director Clayton Scott, whose debut, Below the Fold, is a quick-moving police procedural set here in Missouri, rural Missouri. Uh, So before we we start any kind of conversation, first and foremost, Clayton, congratulations on the release. The movie is so good. It looks great. And any kind of film willing to kind of explore the seedy side of uh, rural northern Missouri is like so speaking specific to my spirit animal that I was just uh, stoked to see it. So uh, congratulations, man. Before we talk about Scream 2, uh, tell us a little bit about the film. How did it uh, you know how did you come up with the idea how was the the production all that kind of jazz
2: oh well first of, you know thanks for having me on the podcast and uh like i say it's great talking to you guys and uh i just uh as for the movie yeah, it's below the fold it's about uh two two journalists in a, a small town of maryville missouri they're doing a a story on a cold case of a 12 year old missing girl from skidmore missouri and uh, once they start investigating, things kind of, kind of get deep and, and insightful and it kind of becomes a, kind of a journalism thriller, all the, you know, all, uh, all the president's men, but set in these, you know, small rural towns. And yeah. So that was, uh, that, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the small breakdown. So, sure. <laughs> but uh, as far as uh, the idea is like, I, I mean, I, I grew up in Northwest Missouri so it, it's, all, it's all personal for me in that regard. And uh, Skidmore was a town, a real, a real town, and I grew up about 40 minutes. I, I'm from Worth County, Missouri, which is uh, adjacent to Nottoway County, which is what okay. Skidmore is in. Sure. So uh, just growing up, I'd heard all the stories about Skidmore. It is a notorious small town with lots of different true crime and the biggest one that they're known for is uh Ken Rex McElroy. and uh he was a town bully in the in the for for decades in the in the 60s and 70s and early 80s that who terrorized the town and uh uh one day it was in 19 in July 1981 uh they'd had enough of it cuz i mean this guy had like he he'd steal, he'd shot people, he was a child molester, he'd oh, burn Jesus. down people's houses. I mean like this just the worst kind of person and but nothing was done for decades like every time he would intimidate witnesses that so they wouldn't talk to people and so one day and in 1981 they got fed up in this in this town and they he'd come out of the bar he sat in his pickup and he was shot dead there wow (laughs) and um, and no one was ever convicted of the crime I mean, and this—I mean, this is this is a town less than at the time it was probably a little more than 300 people, but wow! I mean, this is a super tiny town, and uh, and that and that story made national news. I mean, it was 60 Minutes, and sure. I mean, mm-hmm. a Time Magazine, everything. They all flocked to this little town, and uh, you know, they brought it. in the FBI to question people, and no one broke and they don't and they don't and and they never talked about it and 1988 uh, there was there's a great uh true crime book one of my favorites in broad daylight and that's okay. about the case and it's and it was made into a, a movie in 1991 with uh oh uh oh geez lot, there is tons of i mean just like oscar nominees and uh, brian oh, Dennehy cool. he played McElroy. the ah, names were crazy. all right so Great, Chris Cooper is in it, and uh, Marsha Gay Harden, wow, Chloë Sleet, cast for a for a teenager. Yeah. Like this is a list, a list people. <laughs> so, very so cool. going through all that, I mean, this was a this was the town we we had our setting, and they had other true crime stuff. There was uh, Winnie Gillenwater, and this is the stuff. Whenever I grew up, that happened, that so. I heard about in two thousand, Winnie Gillenwater was. Uh, she was beaten to death by her boyfriend. And the next year, Branson Perry, who a uh, 20 year old man was, uh, his father was uh, in in the hospital. So they were, he-, he was getting ready to get out of the hospital. Him and his friend okay. were fixed in his dad's car. He's like, Hey, I'm going to go out, grab some jumper cables. He was never seen again. Oh. So that that's the case that really inspired, had like, inspired my my film was, because I remember seeing billboards of, of Branson and just like, you know, just it, the deterioration of the billboard, you know, just thing oh, over time, memory, yeah, over time. So, yeah. what a what was, a symbol, yeah. It is, just and that memory, and and even in the in our film, we use that same billboard <laughs> that's in the in the film. It's just digitally, we have Susie's picture on there, but it's sure. just a striking image and oh yeah, extremely powerful. And the cool. last in the last case, I will say, was uh, in 2004, Bobby joe Stinnett. She was that. Uh, eight months pregnant and she was oh, murdered and that's her baby right. was yeah. out. And, uh, and the woman was trying to pass off the baby as her own. She was caught luckily soon after the baby lived, the baby was fine lives yeah. today. And, but yeah, just all, it's just all these cases in this town. So it's just, yeah. yeah. What a weird her, nexus. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that one. The The last one, I remember that. Because she, uh, the, the woman, uh, she was just uh, executed uh oh maybe
0: that's why i was gonna go. say it feels yeah. fresh yeah because mm-hmm. that was uh, cool.
2: yeah well i think uh yeah. <laughs> that's Both- the story that's the, the kind of general like yeah
0: the setting
2: the, of this the, town and uh i mean i have connection my mom lived there with her first husband in the 70s briefly so she they had run-ins with you know she you just kind of knew to stay away from McElroy. and so think, uh so
0: what? What I'm hearing, Clayton, is that you secretly know who killed McElroy. That's what. That's what I hear. I'm not saying.
2: <laughs> Damn! There goes that a number our, one uh, our, podcast.
1: Our or plus scoop. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, like, there's just for me, there's personal connection to to the town. Even not growing up there, you'd hear about this these cases. My sister is my is my half sister, my oldest sister. She's first cousins with Bobby Joe Stennett. So, wow. Okay. So it's like, you know, it's it, this is it's personal to me in that regard. But you know, I also know this growing up in you know in my small town in Worth County, like in, of Sheridan and in Grant City uh, and other surrounding towns, it, Skidmore's not like that. <laughs> I'm I'm like yeah. I know I know folks growing, uh, who live there. It's just everyday life. But things like this, especially these amount of grisly true crime cases, don't happen. Yeah. and if they do it's like it's one yeah i mean right, right. not not something so bizarre and uh it grievous. seems it seems like skidmore was built
0: like on a hellmouth or something you know like there yeah. is just uh some bad bad mojo i i think both in your your description of and how you portray maryville but you know yep. skidmore as well i went to school um in Kirksville, Missouri. So like, oh, yeah. uh, there is, I think you do a really great job of treating those places with love and kindness while also recognizing they got some, they got some issues, you know, like yeah. there, there's, there's some shit that, that has to be reconciled from time to time. And, uh, it, 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 it is not heavy handed. And I thought, I thought you did a wonderful job with, with giving us, those small towns with all the warts and all the things, but also in this kind of, uh, with this hand that you can clearly tell cares about that community and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so. I mean,
2: I, I, lo- I love the communities I grew up in. I mean, I, I mean, I- but also having, you know, living in Kansas city and living outside of it, you know, it gives you a different, it gives you a bit of perspective that you wouldn't have if you were, if I just stayed there my entire life. And sure. sure. I mean, so, I mean, I, I have that love and care, but I also can recognize some of, you know, some of the issues as well. And, yeah. you know, also recognize the, the beautiful things that come from small towns, but yeah. So I mean, if any sort of insight I have it, it, I think it's that it's, you know, being able to, feel like i'm close to it but also having that perspective
0: yeah yeah well absolutely well uh i think maybe uh before we really get into our essential question today our essential question today it is scream month here on the horror podcast uh so we're going to cover scream 2 in just a moment Uh, specifically the question does scream 2 accurately point out that greek tragedies were the first horror films what uh what we didn't tell you is that Clayton is also our resident Greek tragedy expert. He is not. I I I I kid. I kid. we <laughs> were right. disappointed.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. We're we're gonna have a big quiz where you're gonna go through all those plays.
2: <laughs> I'm Hope be you're sweat, familiar. That out.
0: <laughs> but before we get to that conversation, uh what's everybody reading and writing and interested in and what's going on? Orin, uh You've been pretty quiet so far. What uh, What's going on in, in Castle
1: Grey? So, I mean, I'm still, like, up to my eyeballs in the big project that I'm going to be up to my eyeballs in all month. So I have not been reading or watching much. I got a little bit further into the, uh, into the Shaw Brothers box set, but not far. Um, so the only, like, horror-adjacent thing that I've watched recently was actually Clayton's movie, which I missed. When it was at Panic Fest, I had oh, yeah. wanted to see it then, um, and I just didn't, like, I don't remember why, but for whatever reason, I was unable to make it at Panic Fest. And then um, I finally caught it on VOD uh, just before this episode so that I would make sure that I had seen it, and it was great, um, yeah. like Keller said. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up in Kansas instead of Missouri, but it was still, like, small rural towns. It was still very familiar, you know, in, in yeah. that regard, which was it's, – it's nice to see – Again, from someone who's actually ever been to the Midwest, instead of just like, has this image of it from, I don't even know what westerns or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But and that's kind of what I was saying, Clayton. No, like you, like it is not like to to risk sounding uh, like my con- conservative, uh, you know, colleagues or whatever. Like. Sometimes I think Hollywood uh, is relatively lazy in how they paint the Midwest with with big broad brushes, and yeah. there is so much nuance to your towns and your characters in Below the Fold that you know, like it, it is nice to see somebody from that area creating art about that area. I just think that's right. cool, man. Yeah, yeah. That's, nice. that's a good way to be. So, uh, so then Clayton, what uh, what have you been watching? What have you been reading? What uh, what's making you excited?
2: Oh, uh, lately. Uh... There's a there's a movie that I it's a it's a well not super old it's, I mean but it's from it's Lone Star uh, by uh, John Sales I, I rewatched that and read the screenplay mm-hmm. recently and nice that's just it's an incredible incredible film and that's a that's another one you know the kind of the border town of uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, in, in Texas and kind of seeing the, the politics and. Uh, the history and the kind of mythologizing of history, you know, and wow. that I love seeing that because it was, it reminded me a lot of, uh, it's one of my favorite movies is the man who shot Liberty balance and, you know, oh it, yeah, and it, it, it reminded me like a modern day version of that. And I've seen this before, but just kind of like, you know, seeing it again, it's like, yeah, this, this reminds me a lot of that. And it's always been one of my favorite movies because this is, it's, you know, it's a modern film, but it's a Western. I mean, it is. <laughs> and, right. Just, you know, just, you know, and, you know, especially now it's important, you know, for as far as like, especially for, and you guys' case, as far as, you know, and as teachers, you can see that, you know, that history, you know, and their, their mythology, like, hey, this is, you know, white settlers, you know, coming into Texas and like, and like those other guys, they're the bad guys. And that's how they teach in the history of it. This is kind of like, you know, throwing it, you know, on its head, showing you, showing you the real facts. is like, hey, it's not not things aren't exactly as they seem and in this time yeah right with uh, chris cooper his his uh, his father who's a sheriff and a former mayor back then that you know maybe he's not as uh, good a guy as you know people remember and they're mythologizing sure. him so it's yeah and reading sales screenplay it's it's just brilliant like the way he puts together all these characters and different uh storylines and it's all seamless and of and of one and yeah so oh, I, I thought, I just, I love that. That's, that's been yeah. something that I, I dove into and really enjoyed. So I'll
0: have to, I'll have to revisit that. I think it's been uh, way, way too long
2: since yeah, I, I have probably big, seen that. Oh, big fan of that. of that. And of course, I mean, if, if you love Liberty Valance, it's another one. It's a good double feature. So. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. I think it's about time to, to re-examine that.
2: Well, I like the one thing I wanted to talk about
0: content wise, right. Uh, it, it, there is a show on Showtime, so uh, fans of the podcast will know there, there are some things I really like. A, I kind of like teenage high school horror films in that that's like the, the swim tank that I'm in most of the time. You know? <laughs> uh, and uh, like also, uh, I kind of like soccer because my son plays soccer and that's kind of the sport that we follow here in the house. So Yellow Jackets on Showtime is ostensibly uh, about a a female high school uh, soccer team that crash lands in the middle of the woods in like the Pacific Northwest. And it's not giving anything away because it's in the first episode. They're they're trapped out there for 19 months and they end up like turning into these weird like folk horror cannibals and then they have to come back into the real world and i'm telling you the show is so much freaking fun uh the cast is absolutely stellar and like it, it, there is a reason why like all the horror twitter sphere w- was talking about it because it is fucking wild it's it's got all kinds of blood and guts but it has this kind of uh Patina of the CW on top of everything. It's its a very weird confluence of of things, you know? But uh, yeah, it's on Showtime. I think the season finale is going to be directed by, um, oh, the director of the Blur Witch Project, I'm pretty sure. So oh, it's going to wow. be
1: super fun, super weird, super big. So
0: yeah. Or, you heard anything about it?
1: I mean, like, Tyler, or not Tyler, uh, you're Tyler. Uh, Trevor Henderson has been like, talking it up nonstop so i i want to see it but you know i don't know showtime so sometime I know we'll see. yeah it.
0: right right i i got the free preview which i would imagine is going to turn into a month or two of me forgetting to turn it off and paying my six dollars or yeah, whatever that's probably what i should do yeah just what they want you know <laughs> Right, <laughs> they forget, so. <laughs> they're gonna get their money man they're gonna get their money mm-hmm. that's just the way it is but uh yeah it's incredibly gruesome it's like The first the first episode, because, you know, I watch most TV, especially with my wife, who's not a horror person by any stretch. Uh, She was like, oh, geez. uh." I was like, oh, maybe she won't stick with this. But there's enough compelling drama uh, because half of the show takes place like 25 years later when they're all like middle aged, like trying to come to grips with what happened which i think is really interesting because like i don't know i'm middle-aged and i feel like i'm coming to grips with all kinds of stupid shit i did in high school so (laughs) that is uh that is just the world i live in so all right well um yeah i think uh i think it may be time guys so let's move to the essential question does Scream 2 accurately point out that Greek tragedies were the first horror films?
1: Two Windsor College students were murdered last night during a sneak preview of the new movie Stab. It's starting again,
0: Randy. This has nothing to do with us. Randy, a guy in a ghost mask hacked up two people in the movie theater telling our life stories. Hi, Gail Weathers, author of the Woodsboro Murders. Do you think the killer will strike again? We have no evidence that this is a serial killer. It's a classic case of life imitating art imitating life. Are you suggesting that someone's trying to make a real life sequel? Do you think someone's trying to duplicate Woodsboro? It looks like it. I think you have a copycat on your hands, Chief.
1: Hello? Hello, Sydney. Remember me? What do you want? I want you. It's show- police are everywhere.
2: If there is some freaked out psycho trying to follow in Billy Loomis's
0: footsteps, you probably already know.
1: The way
0: I see it, someone's out to make a scene. So it's our job to observe the rules of the scene. Number one, the body count is always bigger. two, death scenes are always much more allowed. You just want to sit here and wait and see who drops next? I'm not interrupting anything, am I? So the Internet Movie Database uh, gives us this brief description of the second film in the Scream franchise. Two years after the uh, first series of murders, as Sidney acclimates to college life, someone donning the Ghostface costume begins a new string of killings. So, Clayton... I, the, the most important question here, before we get into Scream 2 specifics, and I'm going to put you on the hot uh, on the hot spot here. Have you seen all four of the Scream movies?
2: Yes. Okay. I have not. I hadn't seen probably two or three, uh, geez, probably for 15 years. we <laughs> so watched yeah. I rewatched two a, a couple nights ago, and I've seen the first Scream multiple times, and I saw Scream 4 in theaters. So okay. I mean, it's, I, just, I remember I remember liking uh, two and four you know, pretty good okay. and I'm being lukewarm on three but I haven't revisited three so it's like I so that's that's I'm, the one I want to revisit. So. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the on the hot seat though.
0: You're gonna give me your definitive ranking <laughs> sure. of the movies. All right, so okay. you just tell me like your number one and then your number two and your number three and your number four.
2: Okay, uh, sc- Scream. It's okay. head and shoulders above, I, I feel like. And then, you bet. You bet. And then probably, I mean, I tend to rewatch, but just gut feeling, I really like Scream 4 whenever I saw it. That okay, probably, fair. Yeah. Then Scream 2, but I think it's pretty close. So just, I feel like I really liked the, my rewatch of Scream, Scream 2 the other night. Yeah. And then a distant third is Scream 3. So, okay. <laughs> distant 4. I mean,
0: yeah. So, uh, Oren, I think uh, uh, yours was four, one, two, three. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. I, Clayton, I think you you got mine right on right the, the nail right on the head or whatever that is. I do want to uh,
2: rewatch four just so I can compare. I'm probably I, I got all I got all four from the from the library yeah. the other uh, the other day. Cause I'm gonna rewatch them even after this cause like I it's like I kind
1: of I'm kind of I want to see these again. So, yeah. yeah, one and but yeah. Like Scream 3 is, it's a mess. I mean, like undisputably, it is a mess compared to the others, but like, it's also really fascinating to watch now as opposed to when it came out because it's basically about Harvey Weinstein. Right. right? Like, and it's it's executive produced by (laughs) Harvey Weinstein, right? Like, and it's, it's essentially him producing a movie about himself and it's like, it's so strange that that happened. But it's like,
0: it's hiding yeah. out in the open, right?
1: It's like, right. oh fuck! Yeah.
0: If I make this movie, nobody's gonna be like, oh, surely this guy wouldn't make a movie taking himself down. Nah, right. I mean, I do. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had. I think uh, I I I don't love Scream Three. I attempted to rewatch it maybe four or five years ago, and like, it's just uh, it's kind of a mess. There are some great yeah. things about mm-hmm. it. But, and Oren and I talked a little bit about this on the last episode where we talked about Scream 4. But I have a really soft spot for Scream 2 in my heart because this movie came out in like 96 or 97. 97. And I was, 97? Yeah, I was real close to college, right? Uh, So I'm like, oh, shit, this is what college is like. You know, I was like, sign me up. right? And uh, and I was ready to... uh, like get strung up on a weird cross and get force-fed booze and have all (laughs) kinds of, you know, hot sorority girls, like throwing themselves at me. Nobody told me the likelihood of uh, the debate president (laughs) getting all of that was really slim. So uh, college was different, but that doesn't mean I don't love this film. So let's talk a little bit uh, about our characters and where they are right now. Right. So, uh, our titular, you know, uh, not titular, but you know, our main character here, Sydney Prescott, is—is uh, is this her first year of college or second? I'm not. I, I when I was
1: putting, it's I like clear. I don't think they ever say. It seems like it's fairly fresh, though. Right. But I don't know. Like she's either partway through her first year or starting her second, and I'm unclear. I
2: yeah, I think which. that's. Well, her, her friend is, like, getting all the soror- you know, the sorority right. stuff, so it makes me think it's the first year, but, I mean, I'm not a... I, I never was in <laughs> the of sorority, it's like, so... If, yeah, it seems it's like the first year, year, like a freshman thing, though.
1: If Leicester. it's her first year, she took a gap year, because so it's been two years since the last movie. Could be. She was a senior in Scream. Yeah, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, so... Okay, that being said, right, so she I think we can both kind of agree that, uh, oh, she's not a veteran, right? Like this right. is not a, a college that is hers necessarily, right? which is why like the central conceit of the film is also the con- central conceit of uh, tonight's episode. It, it revolves around this kind of duality of the story between what's happening right. to actual, you know, Sydney Prescott. In what is happening to, you know, her character in the Greek tragedy that they're putting on? I I looked and looked and I went back and I probably should have written it down. Do we? Do they ever name what show she's in?
1: It's Cassandra. I don't know what the name. Of she the plays play Cassandra. Is. I know that. But like I can't it's the story of Cassandra, name. but I don't know what play it's supposed to be. Hmm.
0: I think it may be Agamem- Agamemnon, which. Uh, it makes a lot of sense as we get in and talk some about those Greek tragedies, but like Agamemnon is 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 a really well known show. It's very very serious, as you can kind of tell by the stage design and everything. But let's assume for a moment that she is a freshman, okay? <laughs> I there weren't very many freshmen that got cast as leads in anything, you know. Right. So I was like, wow, Sydney is uh, totally uh kicking ass and probably making a ton of enemies in the process i thought it would be like the theater girl that she you know was like a fifth year senior that you know i'd be like no not for my role but i was I
2: was. she's a real
1: rude. prodigy i mean <laughs> she's got the lead but right off the bat david werner really believes in her yeah. yeah, I don't,
2: I don't know uh, you know it's like hey you know all the stuff that horrible trauma he went through just use it <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I would yeah. tell, tell an actor that that's how you press
1: the But I also do feel like she's like she's basically a celebrity at the college though even though she's new there because yeah. she's the girl from the, the thing that they made a movie about right and so like everybody knows who she is even if she hasn't met them yeah, yeah, um, right. Which which would which would kind of bump you to the head of the line in a lot of ways, whether you wanted it or not.
0: Right. So, yeah. on tickets. That's I mean. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. Yeah. We got it. We gotta cast Sydney Prescott. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. gonna come watch her. Yeah. Th- I mean, that's true. I I think so. She's one. Uh, she's really not. Probably before we get to Sydney, we need to talk a little bit about that opening credit scene because I think. uh it, it does that Wes Craven thing that is so fucking smart and so interesting. You know, we, we have a couple of African-American uh, actors who have this really interesting conversation about, uh, you know, revolving a, around the role of African-Americans in horror. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of w- wanted your guys' take on that because we've had this kind of re-exposure to a lot of black horror through horror noir and through some other sh- uh, stuff that Shudder has done, uh, both the series and the documentary. Do do we think any of those rules have changed now in, you know, 20 years, 25 years? Or do we think the role of, you know, three white guys talking about it obviously is uh, you know, not not going to give us the, the best pulse of what we think culturally is going on there. But I... I do think our eyes are at least open to some of those tropes now, right? So, do oh, we yeah. think maybe Wes Craven would do something different in in that capacity? I don't know, or not.
1: I mean, I think what they're talking about in the in the movie is a lot of the same kinds of stuff that gets talked about in in um, you know in Get Out or whatever, and it's 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 partly about. Um, the way that you know African American characters are portrayed in these movies, but it's also partly about like the experience of watching a movie as an African American, you know, uh, individual, which which you know, I know, I know, Get Out is very much about that in a lot of ways, like from the title on down, sure. Um, you know, and, and it's that it's that that tendency to be more like call and response with the movie, even almost sure. Um, and uh you know and all that kind of thing and i think that's a lot of what they're what they're getting at in the opening sequence even though they don't get to get very deep into it because it's like five minutes long yeah
0: but <laughs> but I, I, no i i think you you kind of highlight the the discussion about viewing movies the role of of uh being in a movie and watching a movie i think and, but also the fucking cast is incredible right like right. uh yeah, immediately you're like, wow, okay, all right. I'm yeah, Omar Epps
2: and David Pickett-Smith to start, and they're incredible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and yeah,
0: they're yeah. in it for like five minutes, you this
1: know? This is ridiculous. We got them. Um, I joked just now about like David Werner being her, her drama right? instructor who is in it for literally one scene. <laughs> he has that one line, and that's about it. Yeah. Never shows up again. <laughs> um, well, like, and it
0: totally feels like a product of – of Wes Craven, you know, like he's, he's like, okay, I can command these people, you know, like I can get these people or I'm friends with these people or whatever. Come, right. come, come be in the first 10 minutes of my film. I'm like, okay. All right. Yeah. We'll totally do this. I, I
1: yeah. love the, like, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was I love that. Like the cold open in this movie is like maybe the most expensive sequence in the entire movie. Because it's like, it's all those extras in that theater. Right. You get the street scene outside the theater. Like, it's this huge, complicated sequence. And yeah. it's just pulled open. Like, you, it's nothing to do with the plot at all. Right. Right. Well, yeah. uh, the go for it, Clayton. Definitely, yeah. definitely
2: one of my favorites. I mean, I mean, Especially since you know the the first scream, that is one of the most iconic openings, not of a horror film but oh, of yeah. any movie. <laughs> so, right, right, yeah. I mean, okay, we gotta we gotta up the ante here. And I feel like it's you know, it, it might not quite reach that level, but it's it gets close. It's a damn good opening, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, just speaking back to you know the the African American characters in it, I do think if it was set now, I, I think it would be a little different. As far as I mean, I like that they're commenting on the role of african americans in horror films but then you see you know after they're killed the you know in the, in the film you know her 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 uh her friend in it is you know she ends up being murdered later and then right right so right. i i don't know if you know if if roles like that would be different you do have the the camera and the african american man who's who's you know he's like i'm getting the hell out of here so he's he's the smart one of the bunch so
0: yeah <laughs> so,
1: I mean, I, mean I, I think he's also, like, legit the only new character who survives the movie.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and and I love how they finally give us that guy that's like, no. <laughs> You're like, what, what's going to transpire over the next four or five days is a thing that I don't want anything to do with. Call me when this shit's over with, yeah. you know? Like, yeah, that, that guy's name is Tyler Unsel. And he, pr- <laughs> he probably hosts, uh, you know, a slightly above average podcast and uh, is not interested in, in trying to find out any kind of killers or whatever. But uh, I, I think you both kind of mentioned something that that big like the, the first cold open of Scream is is close and and intimate and uh like it doesn't look that way. But my guess is, in the grand scheme of shooting things, relatively cheap to shoot, you know, like uh, it is in a singular location. You only have a handful of actors, you know, whatever. And then you have this big, (laughs) you know, no pun intended, theatrical, you know, like giant thing. And it really echoes one of the consistent messages of this film, which is like sequels, have to go so much bigger, right? Like they have, they're bigger in everything. And, right. you know, there are more extras. There are more reporters, right? There are this gaggle of reporters that follows everybody around. I'm like, they're the same people. Like somebody made decent money just being a no-name reporter. Yeah, you know? I'm like, all right, okay, <laughs> that's cool. So like, uh, I, I appreciate that Wes Craven points out these things, right? Like he's like, I mean, Slasher's got a problem, uh, you know, with African-American folks and representation. Also, I'm not going to fix them. Right. I'm just going to obey the rules that I lay out. And I think that is I I, I think it is interesting. And I don't I I, I don't know if I how I feel about it. You know, like if we know it's a problem and we're going to talk about it.
2: Yeah. Fix it. Oh. Yeah, I mean, for for the time, I mean, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm sure it felt even more, you know, groundbreaking in that regard, and just like the original screen well, felt groundbreaking as far as, you know, the, the meta aspect to it. And, yeah, well, I yeah. It like Kevin Williamson's brilliant screenplays for both of these. So, yeah, I, feel, I mean, his his uh, his text and everything is, you know, building these worlds and these myths of these uh, characters and rich history and. I mean, yeah, it's, it's incredible.
1: I mean, just from a writing standpoint, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I was like, go for it. I was just say, like one of the key things about about like discussing stuff like the the problem with, you know, the representation of the African-American characters or whatever, is that essentially for like all the Scream, the Scream sequels up, up to, you know, the ones we've gotten so far, basically only the core cast ever survives. Right. Like the the new yeah. characters never make it through. It doesn't matter who they are. <laughs> um, yeah. Like it's, it's essentially just Sydney Dewey and Gale forever. Yeah. Like it's, it's just those three always. And so yeah. like, there's only so much wiggle room you have when you've yeah. only got three characters who get to make it out.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, like, it helps imbue you, especially in the second film, right? Because, uh, oh, her boyfriend is played by uh man. Edward oh, Yes, uh-huh. right? And you remember, like, he was the it guy, right? Like, yeah. he was in a ton of stuff. He was the beefcake. He was the, and <laughs> for him to, like, they dispatch him with so little emotion and, like, angst or you know like there's a little bit of that right. but also it's like nah we're not even going to pretend like he makes it like uh, yeah. <laughs> it is what it is
1: but I yes love, go, uh, go for it uh, I love speaking speaking of him and like so so the cast like has him it's got Sarah Michelle Gellar, it's got all these people who were huge at the time right yep. and one of the people who was the least huge at the time is the guy who turns out to be the killer you know spoilers alert etc but is you know Timothy Oliphant Right. right. He's yeah. huge from now. I forgot. I didn't realize. Everyone <laughs> yeah, me, like, too, oh,
0: me too. Me <laughs> <laughs> we too. We're like, who is this guy? Who is yeah. this like Qu- Quentin Tarantino slash like? Because he plays a fucking weirdo in this movie, you know? Like, yep. <laughs> it's it's just slightly turned down, you know? Like, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, I was a big fan of, uh, oh, the, the zombie television series that it was in. Um, it is a place in LA. It is, it's going to come to me later, but it's got, uh, oh, I'm fucking terrible with names. I'm just going to have to cut this out when I figure it out. Uh, I'm just like, sure. yeah, yeah. Just keep talking, Tyler. Just keep fucking talking. Yeah. Uh, It's, it's okay. And three, two, one. So I love him in that television series with, uh, Drew Barrymore, where they, uh, where she is a zombie and it santa is so mm, yes yeah, santa Clarita diet you got it okay. Oren is in my headspace thank you <laughs> for saving me there so that uh we don't have to redo it again <laughs> but uh yeah like he's got this kind of snide snarky like quality about him that makes him as an auteur or whatever we want to call him here in this context like fucking so fun yeah like uh, there's such a weird energy that he brings to the stage that i was very excited to see him, and he makes it a, a ton of fun to watch. So, so uh, before we get too far away from the essential question, there actually is a ton of literature out there making comparisons between Greek tragedies and like modern horror films. And uh one article I wanted to talk just a little bit about comes from Edelon, and the title of the author is horrific catharsis greek tragedy and modern horror and it's by Edie adams and tj bolt and they create this term all right i fucking love this thing right they call it the miasma of the house of prescott okay and their thesis is like the entire scream franchise for the most part uh functions a lot like a greek tragedy in that you have this ancient curse that typically comes from a big sin that somebody's mom or dad or whatever commits. And it haunts generations of the family afterwards. Right. And two things out of that. Number one, totally fucking Gothic too then. Right. Like, cause we have this like conception of a, a house that is, you know, just inherently flawed, but also uh super like spot on. Right. Because, all of this stems from the fact that Sidney Prescott's mom had an affair with another married man and everything bad happened from there. Right. And actually probably, you know, once we throw in the third film, it it starts much earlier than that too. But like, is, is Sidney Prescott like, is she a character in a Greek tragedy? Do we think that the scream movies function like that or not so much? You go first, Orin.
1: (laughs) <laughs> oh good
0: <I laughs> lucky mean, you
1: <laughs> i mean you know fundamentally yeah like so the thing about like the thing about the the central question we're talking about is that you know yes i mean like of course horror is structured more or less like greek tragedy like greek greek theatrical plays, like structured so much of everything that became horror like you know the gothics like you talked about were the result of, like, you know, uh, romanticism's um, swing back against the Enlightenment, so they went back to the classical stories of the Greeks and whatever and updated them to take place the present day, essentially, right? And that's how we got gothics in the first place, I mean, yeah. more or less, you know, to to way oversimplify it, but, you know, I mean, but generally. And so, you know, yeah, I mean, the, the obvious answer is yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think uh, anything to add there, Clayton?
2: um just you know and i think i looked at this one of the articles you'd said tyler just like as far as like you know in all these films like the the prologue is you meet these characters that kind of set the tone for the film and yeah. uh characters that aren't going to be in any of the rest of it and uh, so it, it's you know it's similar in that regard so it's our structure and uh and also they you know they talked about how in uh in those times these were popular plays for you know normal people not just you know okay. these high art sort of you know for intellectual types but yeah this was meant for mass consumption and horror right. films by definition these are mass consumption films yeah you know i mean right we're trying to, you know we're trying to you know scare you we're trying to you know gross you out and that's exactly what you know greek tragedies you know they they did so yeah so i mean well, that connection is is pretty big
0: yeah. Well, it, it, I went through this film like after I read those articles and went back and rewatched it. I was like, OK, are there elements that we can uh, pick out Are there things that we like chief amongst them being there are a couple of things that I think this this film does a really good job of either intentionally giving us those connections to Greek tragedies or doing by accident, in which case, you know, even better. But uh, the first is. The, the idea of the Greek chorus, right? Uh, in Greek tragedies, but also in comedies, there is this group of people, right, uh, that we call the chorus. And there is like an actual Greek chorus in Scream 2 that we see on stage with Sydney. And there are some, I think, pretty good, you know, scares and some kind of cool shit that comes from that. But I think the real Greek chorus in this film are those gaggle of reporters, right? Because... The the whole point behind the course is they come in and they give us that exposition, right? Like, and it is. It's it's very random. It is like, here's what you missed, blah, 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 right? And it's, you know, sometimes spooky and sometimes whatever. But we get these bits and pieces from the gaggle of reporters, specifically one reporter. Uh, but I love the idea that somewhere Wes Craven, you know, is working with Kevin Williams and he's like, hey let's add a you know like let's add our own chorus in here and we'll give them cameras and notepads and and whatever and i think i i don't know man i think that's a i think that's a a pretty cool concept and you know like i hate exposition dumps and we don't get any of this so i think that's uh the sign of maybe confident storytelling
1: oh and like greek 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 plays in general were all uh, often had um I cannot remember the the actual name for the roles, but they often had a character who essentially told you how the play worked, right? Like they 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 narrated, like, "Oh, the gods were angry with Agamem, with you know whoever," and so they right. did X, Y, you know, right? And and that's essentially um, what's his name's character, Randy, right? Oh, From,
0: Jamie Kennedy, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Jamie
1: Kennedy's character, right? Like he's he's essentially the person who. The, the Oracle or whatever who knows. Oh, that's great. Works. The Oracle. Yeah. I like right. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. Jamie Kennedy as the Oracle. I'd fucking, I'd pay all, like
2: a lot of money to see a whole film. <laughs> he's incredible in this. I forgot how good he was with these. I mean, just, Oh, he's yeah. so my good. my favorite parts is just.
0: <laughs> yeah. And like, I remember his, his scene where he dies. I was, I was like, I was that guy because I loved that Jamie Kennedy character. There was something about the guy that was like always trying to be too smart that he annoyed people or, you know, whatever. Uh, I was like, yeah, Jamie Kennedy's my guy. And then they kill him in that band. I'm like, I didn't see him die. I didn't see his body. You know, like maybe, <laughs> his, you know, I held out until the end that he, you know, that, nope, didn't happen. <laughs> to, to, to get back to your point, Oren, like he is like one of those main characters and they do in a very Game of Thrones style. Like fucking kill him off, you know, know. pretty early too. So they're, they're not pulling any strings. Uh, So the other kind of dramatic angle from the Greek tragedy, I I wanted to at least take a little bit of time to talk about uh, where it's Greek tragedies used graphic displays of violence uh, through a particular stage technique. And I'm going to butcher it. Okay. But it's called, Ikaiklima, which is essentially a way for them to show a bunch of dead bodies on stage Mm -hmm. and then get them off real quick, right? Because you can't dump a bunch of dead bodies on stage. Then everybody's going to get bored as you have to, like, drag them off, you know? But (laughs) they would often put them on these, like, set pieces or wheels sometimes. And they, I, I love the idea that the power of the Scream films come from the reaction, not necessarily... The, the deaths, because yes, obviously they're, they're sad and tragic and whatever, but it's all the audience interpretation of those bodies. It's all the audience seeing them. And often they are on very vivid display. Right. And we talked about that with the, the fourth film and it mm-hmm. definitely happens here. In fact, I would argue Sarah Michelle Geller's scene uh, where she dies in the Tority House looks a lot like um, the scene of the best friend in Scream 4, you know, like they're they're presented for everybody to see and the real horror comes from everybody's reaction to seeing all those dead bodies and shit so yeah i, I think that's that's again yeah, i think one more way either they're actively or passively you know trying to make those <laughs> connections so well, yeah,
2: i think i feel like cool. in this one you know mm-hmm. them doing that play it was this especially in this film was a more active connection yeah, like, yeah it right like williamson was he's thinking of that at least and you know the scene where you know with the mask and everything and where she's uh you know kind of being traumatized and seeing seeing the ghost face mask and right very effective and but you know yeah. and using that parallels i felt like he you know he's connecting those you know the greek tragedies directly to this film yeah yeah,
1: you know? yeah. And well the- and uh, go, go for that, it, Dory. Uh, I was just going to say that 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 whole sequence with the masks and the chorus and and the only time we see the play actually being performed, um, like, is maybe the best set piece in this entire franchise.
0: Yeah, it is so the
1: first good. This movie's called Open. Like, it's super good.
0: Yeah. This yeah such a good
1: set piece, like, it looks great. It's really mm-hmm. atmospheric.
0: Yeah, and yeah. like, like uh, the bottom line is, I think Nev Campbell is a goddamn movie star, right? And I had the world's biggest crush on her when I was a kid. In retrospect, now that I'm maybe a little bit older, I look back on it and she's still a movie star and she is still smoking hot and whatever. But the camera, Wes Craven, I think works really hard to like not overly sexualize her. Right. And and, uh, even the scene at the beginning of this film where she walks around in her underwear, like. It's very sensible underwear for the most part, and the camera doesn't linger, and right. it feels like a product of her waking up, not a product of, like, a male director being like, I wonder if we can get Nev Campbell in some, right. you know, flinky-looking pajamas or yeah. whatever. So, and I think that allows her to show those acting chops, like, in that particular scene,
1: right? Well, and, like, one of the great things about the Scream franchise as a franchise, instead of, you know, like an individual film. And one of the, one of the unique things about it as a franchise is that it allows the characters to be different characters as the movies go on. Like typically when you get a franchise, if you even get returning characters, they're the same. Yeah. Like they don't, they don't change dramatically from one movie to the end, next, but you know, Nev Campbell's character, especially is a different character in each movie. Like mm-hmm. she is, she is being broken in this one, like broken down. Like the first movie was one thing, but like this one, you know, it's, it's worse for her and you can tell yeah, for sure. It is. Yeah. Um, And it leads you to where she is in three, where she's this very, like almost grizzled survivor at the beginning of part three, you know, running the, the like, uh, rape crisis hotline from yeah. her like survivalist house out in the woods, you know, like, yeah. yeah. It's, it's she, she becomes this very different character in each movie, which is a great thing to get to see. You don't get to see very often.
0: Yeah, well, and, and to to pull things even back to our uh, question tonight, right? Like, uh, the part of the power of a Greek tragedy is that it turns innocence into either death, right? Either they die or they, you know, are driven insane, like uh, in Medea or, you know, like something like that, where... We have this transformation, and most of the time, it's not transformation into anything good, right? Because it's right. a tragedy. So, yeah, I, I think uh, I, I think you were right that this second film is really her trying to shrug off the past right. and being like, "Oh fuck, never mind." You know, like I am here and I'm stuck in this, and now it's time to to cope and deal. I guess. Right.
2: Yeah, and I mean. These films have a different kind of, you know, they have that catharsis in the same way, but a different kind of that. Usually in the, the Greek tragedies, it's like, it's a lot darker. <laughs> it's like, this at least, yeah. like, okay, she, you know, she gets to kill the bad guy and, you know, very true. Kick. But, yeah. I mean, you know, but there's always the flip side. Each one, it's, you know, adding more trauma to her life, you know, going through right. each, each of these events and, like I said, it leads into which I haven't seen the third film for just from years, like she's she's even more hard. I feel like she's hardened even by the end of the second film. Yeah. Like, you know, she shoots <laughs> shoots uh, the uh, shoots her in the head at the end, even after it's like, hey, I'm gonna make sure this is fucking done. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: I'm not playing around. Well, yeah. and I, I love the last shot, right? The the last shot of this film, West Craven kind of pulls out, it looks like it's on some sort of crane or something. So we get a little wider shot and She wanders around, right? Like she is kind of done talking to the people that she needs to talk to. She kind of looks around and then the camera just kind of follows her wonder, you know? And and I love the idea that again, for the second time in her life, she was surrounded by these, these people that mattered, these, these friends, this boyfriend, this, you know, whatever. And she is left in the exact same fucking space at the end of the film and she feels like just that view alone makes you feel she's, she's lonely. She's alone. Yeah, she right. looks lost, you know? And I'm like, wow, incredibly yeah,
1: brave, it, you know? Yeah. And it conveys this, like this question, right? Of when this happens a second time, what do you do? Like, cause when it happens once, what you do is more or less what she tried to do, right? You try to go on with your life because that's right. kind of thing only happens to people once right and then when it happens a second time what do you do like how do you how do you go on from that
0: yeah right that would that would like truly in the real world like that kind of right. shit the the first one would traumatize somebody to the point of of you know pretty significant stuff right, right. but that second time i i don't know like uh, i right. I think yeah. society would would ask the same question like what the what the hell
2: do we do now right like Christ. I mean she she gets it three times I mean even if these events don't happen in the first or second film her mom's still murdered right. <laughs> right, yeah. right right already horrible enough yeah. and then she yeah, gets yeah. these she events. She I mean,
1: and it's not just that her mom was murdered, either. And this ties back to the Cassandra thing in some ways. Her mom was murdered, and she was the key witness to put the guy behind bars. Oh, and so, good. so good. So
0: good, yes. And was wrong.
1: Like, also. Like, that's the, the ultimate thing in the first movie. Like, she was wrong, and it was actually this person she trusted who did it. Like, it's...
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah well and, it, and, and thank you for mentioning right Cassandra we often see the Cassandra trope in all kinds of horror films anyways right that that person it's like don't go there you know like the the gas station attendant at uh, cabin in the woods you know it's like you know spooky things are afoot or whatever the fuck he says it's something <laughs> like like super symbolic and like right. they, they make fun of him in the you know in the headquarters right. afterwards <laughs> Yeah. yeah yeah but uh you know i i love the idea that she's playing that character and that we see her repeatedly a uh, great catch in the first one too that she is the the witness she is it right uh but she is constantly like no he's back and no he's coming after me and blah 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 and despite all of that right you still have a number of her friends that are like, it'll be okay, baby. I'll take care of you. I'll walk you to class. Right? Like <laughs> that's, that's, uh, you know, that's her boyfriend's solution. Uh, we'll just make sure we're with you all the time. Right. <laughs> like, like, calm down, bro. I like, uh, that clearly it's not going to work. Yeah.
1: Right. Me and me and this other creepy guy I go to film class with. Exactly. <laughs> class. Yeah, you feel yeah. safe now, right? <laughs>
0: I just want you to know that if I told Nicole, my wife, I was like, "Hey, by the way, there's some guy trying to kill us," and Timothy Oliphant is gonna fucking like tail you in his car, she'd be like, "How about not?" I'd be afraid. Yeah, you know, he's fucking <laughs> Timothy Oliphant.
1: Come on, man.
0: He's got crazy eyes. All right, I love him. He's he's you know a great actor, but he's got crazy eyes he He does does.
2: he's got those just even when he plays like a good guy i love him in deadwood as like sheriff bullock but he's he's got those intense crazy eyes like he's gonna do something messed up (laughs) yeah yeah this is not a this is not just
0: a random friend here this is a guy with with some stuff yeah okay so uh before we run out of too much time i wanted to so Clayton, I'm going to go last to you on this one, just because you're kind of new to the format, so I want plenty of time to think. But Oren and I have a a part of the podcast that we like to call, or I like to call Four Corners. I'm not exactly sure why I call it Four Corners, but each of us picks a couple of movies that we think share DNA with the film that we are talking about. So in this case, a couple of movies that – share some dna or would make a great double feature with or have a connection to scream Two. okay so it's not going to be four corners tonight it's gonna be six corners uh orin what are your two
1: uh so i picked um black christmas because i don't know why i didn't think of black christmas
0: so good earlier
1: um about scream movies like last time because like you know all the phone call stuff right it's it's right out of black christmas Oh, yeah. And it feels even better this time because it's college again, right? Like, mm-hmm. so. Um, and then uh, I also picked Urban Legends Final Cut, which is the, <laughs> the sequel to Urban Legends with the, like, fencer mask killer.
0: Yeah, that's but great. Like,
1: but it's all, like, film school bullshit, right? Like, they're all, they're all like, making a film and also getting killed while they're making the film. And it's all that, you know, college. I don't know. It's been a while since I saw it, but it, it, it's a lot like, you know, a lot like this kind of stuff
0: oh yeah it's super campy and yeah well you stole you didn't steal but uh you did urban legends too i did urban legends one for the same kind of college uh atmosphere or whatever you know Mm -hmm. like uh i think they were probably made around around the same time they both have that kind of cadre of really pretty young hollywood starlets that they can just throw all kinds of fake blood on and you know I have them run around and, and call it good and, and they will sell lots of tickets. Uh, the other one I had, all right, you, <laughs> this is a deep cut. I went through uh, in late college, early adulthood, a Wishmaster phase where I rented all of the Wishmaster movies, mm-hmm. which um, newsflash, none of them are very good. Okay. <laughs> but they have a gin, which I think is interesting because there aren't that many movies about gins. And two, it uses this kind of monkey's paw, like, conceit or shtick in mm-hmm. kind of fun ways. Uh, and the second film is all about uh, a college kid on campus that uh, she ends up summoning the Wishmaster. And then all of her friends, like, like one of them, like, I think one of them asks the gin for a hot piece of ass. And, like, somebody, like... It, it's it's really dumb. I hesitate to even say like uh, they they like give him like a piece of molten metal in the shape of an ass, and it like burns him, you know, alive. He's like, no, it's that kind of stupid shit. But so much fun and uh, captures that kind of fake but real version of college that we have in Scream Two. Because the bottom line is, I went to way too many years of college, and it was it was not like Scream Two. That, what? Uh, i know there was no singing on tables there
1: there, that that scene was so good by the way but
0: yeah yeah uh Um, my cafeteria did not look like that that's all mine either mine
1: either (laughs) um so i want to point out what we've been talking about timothy elephant a lot on this um similarly in urban legend if it's been a while since you saw it uh the creepy guy in urban legend who was not a big deal then is jared leto
0: no shut up for real yep (laughs) well well researched my friend <laughs> wow talk about king weirdos at least like t- timothy oliphant is a weird dude but like like jared Leto is a um, jared um, Leto
1: grew up into be a real life weirdo yeah yeah right
0: right okay clayton you gotta rack your brain they don't have to be horror i know that you were you dabble in other genres so yeah. we won't I, throw you
2: under the bus i'm but, just going to the first two movies that maybe. be I just thought of the connection. I don't know. I just this may be very 90s and a sequel as well. Uh, but it, I think it technically came out in 2000 or 2001. American Pie Two. <laughs> Oh, that's they all, great. Go, they all yes. go off. College yeah, yeah. Kind of. This no. is their college movie. I mean, it's like you had the high school version in the first one, and now now that they're off to the college. I don't know. It just made me think of that, and this is the kind of time period. Of,
0: like, yeah, that's so good. Yeah,
2: so, well done. Well done. No one, no one dies in that, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> that that we know of. Uh,
0: that we know of like, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, my my soul died a little bit. I think
2: uh, watching it because yeah. unlike <laughs> the scream movies. They really went I, down after I, the I'm first one. guess. I'm gonna guess it's been a while to watch this. That this has not aged very well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I probably should revisit American
0: Pie because generally, I think all the shit that I thought was real funny mm-hmm. when I was a junior or senior in high school, m- maybe not so much now. I don't well, know. A lot, a lot of those
2: comedies from that time, and well, even dramas and stuff from that, and then you know, early mid 2000s. Kind of humor is pretty cringy. It's a lot of yeah stuff, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's like yeah, uh. yeah, we can yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right, you're
0: right.
2: It just made me think of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good, that's a great pick. I like it, I like it. Do, and, do, uh, do, yeah, do you got another one? I got, I got one more. Just this is kind of uh this one kind of parallels. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, we're we're, it's a sequel, and we're. We're back to the same, same, it's a hor- horror character. It's a uh, Dream Warriors. The oh, yeah. screen, doing a little bit of a, you know, West Craven uh, connection there. And Nancy's back for this one. And
1: yeah. I don't kind of feel,
2: feels that similar, you know, trauma, you know, coming back and it, it might fit better. It sounds like with Scream 3, because she's kind of got that house and this is kind of similar to <laughs> as far as she yeah. is, but sorry guys yeah. on the spot. This is what I got. So, no, I think they're good. both
0: they're yeah. both fantastic. I love Dream Warriors. Fantastic. I
2: rewatched that maybe a year ago, and man, that's that's a great one.
0: Yeah, yeah. Talk about uh, movies that really focus and center on like the students or the kids. Yeah, like right. I'm I'm always down for that shit. Yeah, pretty good. Well, guys, is there anything? I mean, there's always tons of shit in the script that we just don't have time to cover. I will tell the rest of the the listening audience. You can find all of uh, what we did and didn't cover on our show notes page over at Signal Horizon. This one you should look at because it's got tons of tons of great connections to Greek tragedies and modern horror films. So, did, is there anything that we need to talk about that we haven't talked about yet? Any parting thoughts from either of you? The the dead silence seems yeah. to be it says everything. <laughs> Well, very good. Clayton. Thanks again for coming on the show. Uh, is there, are you working on another project or is there, you know, uh, something else in the pipeline?
2: Um, I'm just writing right now. I've, I'm working on a third draft of another feature script, small town set again, horror. Okay. This one is horror. <laughs> so, sweet, excellent. So I'm pretty excited about it. And honestly, some of the, just thinking of just reading over some of these Greek tragedy kind of stuff. And as far as, uh, you know, I, I saw a lot of connections of the script I was writing. Obviously, not intentional. <laughs> so it's like, I think a lot of that stuff is baked into just our storytelling in general. And yeah, it's been there for yeah. you know a couple of millennia. So yeah, and yeah I think I, I was like, oh, I'm seeing connections. This kind of these kind yeah. of uh, tropes or these kind of ideas. And so sure. that was fun to kind of you know, for me, for me, whenever I write a script, it's like everything in life is it filters through that script it's like oh oh that kind of reminds me of this part of this and yeah. this oh this kind of you know reminds me of that character so yeah yeah so that's been fun to kind of work through my, my working title for it's flyover so oh, i'm hoping, I'm hoping i get a chance to uh make that uh soon maybe maybe i don't know if it'll be this year shooting but hopefully next year and then Hopefully, be out in a few years. So, yeah,
0: well, that's exciting, man. Yeah, I hope so, though. (laughs) Uh, Folks that want to check out Below the Fold or, you know, want to, you know, uh, see where
2: the rest of your world are taking you. Where can they find Below the Fold first and foremost? You can find Below the Fold uh, to rent or buy on Amazon or Google or any of your usual platforms uh, uh, online. And, uh, uh, we do have a DVD out. It seems to be pretty elusive uh, as far as the supply (laughs) chains. Hopefully everything is
0: now, man. (laughs) So
2: Hopefully in the next uh, few weeks, that'll finally be, uh, uh, handled and you can buy the DVD as well, but online, you can find it anywhere, all the usual places.
0: Awesome. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, if uh, folks want to stay in touch with you, do you have like a Twitter or Facebook or, you know, any of that where they can follow, uh,
2: I got all all the usual places on. uh, I don't know my handles or any of that stuff, but I'm on. If you, I'm on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, and I'm I'm more active on probably Facebook, but if you hit me up on any of those other places, I'll, I will mean I'll eventually check them.
0: So. <laughs> awesome, great, very good. I love it. I love it. Well, thanks again for coming on, man. I appreciate it.
2: Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. This was a lot of fun and yeah. let's do it again. Like I said, Tyler, let's talk Twin Peaks. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes.
0: I'm, I'm a huge Twin Peaks man. Massive. So, yeah, and, and now that I bought uh Showtime for Yellow Jackets, uh like my go-to gym, uh like show now is going to be those new seasons of Twin oh, Peaks because I've just yeah, been, just the been fucking waiting. Is,
2: the return was oh my, incredible! I, that was like an event for me when it came out. I watched. It was like my, me and my buddy and my wife. We'd watch it every week. I'd watch yeah. it three times before we watched the next episode. I I'm, love it. It's incredible. You you'll love it. Y'all, to let me know what you think and. Yeah. Maybe sometime we'll we'll talk about it so
0: <laughs> sounds good orin uh before we leave tonight where they where can they follow more of your stuff
1: uh, as always i am orin gray on twitter facebook instagram letterboxd all those places um and at oringray.com very good
0: well you can follow more of my stuff at signalhorizon.com where i'm editing articles and occasionally writing reviews Also, you can follow me at Twitter or on Twitter. There we go. At Ty Unsel, where I'm tweeting about uh, the horror of teaching right now. So uh, it's great and awesome. But uh, next week, we're going to have Stephen Graham Jones on, the author Stephen Graham Jones, on to give us his rule, uh, his rules of slashers and talk about the newest Scream um, next Wednesday. So that's where we'll be. Until then, class dismissed. Yeah.